You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. So if you have your Bibles um, with you and you can follow along. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Clarice. Thanks be to God. Well, hello. If you haven't met me before, my name's Coy. I'm the associate pastor here, and it's so good to see you all on this lovely, nice, warm afternoon. Uh, this verse, this verse is one that has always stuck in my mind. I remember back when I was in year 12, uh, it was heading towards the business end of the year, and I was finding myself playing a lot of online video games, uh, particularly a game called Gunbound, uh, and I was playing it a lot with my friends. And I remember one of my friends noticed this and said to me, Koi, you're playing Gunbound a lot. I think you should stop because it's nearly exam time. And so my response to her was, before you take the speck out of my eye, take the log out of yours. I said this to her because she was rebuking me while she's online playing the game with me too, all right? The audacity, the nerve to do that. But she was very confused by my response because she was an atheist, but still... My point was made. In the end, I ended up failing a few subjects, so her point was made. She was right. I'm sure you've been in similar situations before, yet where we find it so easy to point out something wrong in somebody else, yet completely overlook our own issues. Many times, it's, it's easier to judge others over ourselves. Other times, it's simply more pleasant. Or for a lot of us, maybe we're just not actually aware of our own faults. You know, a study done by leading organizational psychologist, uh, Dr. Tasha Urich, found that while 85% of people believe that they are self-aware, in actuality, only around 10 to 15% truly are. That is people who are accurately aware of themselves internally and externally, you know, able to reflect, to review, to examine themselves properly. Of course, we like to think that we're in that 10 to 15%. But to be honest, I don't even think that number is correct because not to take any away, anything away from their efforts in that study, but this study was done in a very worldly lens where values such as self-exploration, success, psychiatric analysis, societal effectiveness, ability to correct the self uh, was, are the staples to defining someone's self-awareness. But as Christians who believe in what the Bible has to tell us about what we know about ourselves. In God's word is what we see here that we actually aren't that quite, aren't quite self-aware people. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What the self-awareness study doesn't incorporate into its research is the bearing weight of what resides in our hearts. Sin, that inside every human is this innate desire 
to sin, which is to disobey God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's essentially to fall short of God's standard. And so while we may be self-aware of our own selves, knowing what we're, you know, good at, also knowing what we're weak in, the heart is deceitful and so easily tricks us, tricks us to believe things about ourselves which might be completely false, making us maybe think more about ourselves or making us think less. See, but the good news of the Bible is that the sin that resides in our heart doesn't define us, that it doesn't have the final say. But our sin and its consequences have been dealt with by the grace of Jesus, you know, where where believers have been justified, declared righteous in front of God, meaning our future is one with God forever, a future where we are set free fully from our sin when we see Jesus return. But in the meantime, while Christians have been saved from sin, while we wait in the present for that glorious future ahead, The reality is sin still remains in us, still plays a part in our everyday lives, tempting us and deceiving us. And so in this series that we're in, The Vine, The Trellis and The Crow, it's focused on helping us to live and grow faithfully in the now. This is essentially a series to to help us in our spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines to, as author David Mathis says, to grow in our habits of grace, as we heard last week. And one of those healthy disciplines, I think, is one of self-examination, being able to look at the self and assess honestly, scrupulously, yet faithfully. But while it may be beneficial for us and how uh, we grow as Christians, it's often easier said than done, isn't it? Because when it comes to this discipline, what we all know about self-examination is that self-examination is hard. Now, we've all seen this kind of movie, right? The one where you have the character who shows no emotion and constantly puts others down, portraying this life that doesn't really care about anything. But as the movie progresses, you finally discover that they actually do have feelings. And the only only reason why they show nothing is because they don't want to look inwards in any way. They roast others all around them so that the focus is off them. And instead put on others. Think of movies like 10 Things I Hate About You or maybe the new Spider-Man movies of the love interest is like that. It's a classic movie trope. But it's one that we can relate to. Because these characters make it obvious that the examination of self is actually quite difficult to do. And so it's actually much easier to examine other people instead. See, Jesus in our passage spoke to this because I think he knows just how common this is for everyone, that we can so easily point out other people's flaws before looking at the massive flaws in ourselves. And I think one of the reasons we find self-examination hard is because for many of us, we're afraid of what we'll find. See, there was a video I saw uh, on Facebook about a year ago where there was a gang member that was in the streets, from the streets of LA, who turned his life around after he became a Christian and and he was being interviewed in this video. And in the interview, I remember him saying how he often fought the urge to leave the gang, gang life. But anytime he'd think too deeply about it, he'd think about all the terrible things he'd done, he just instinctively put the, like, shut those thoughts off and continued living how he lived. He mentioned that he was too afraid to dig deep, to examine his heart, and he was afraid to see what was there. See, for most of us, it can be extremely difficult to examine our inner life because we're afraid of what we'll find. 
As the Jeremiah passage said, our deceitful hearts, it says, who can understand it? We know that sin resides in us. And the deeper we look, the more real and intense our faults come to light. We may already know what lies in there, but don't want to see it in depth. Maybe not want to explore it. Maybe not want to spark it. Maybe not want to change. And so what happens is we steer clear of any introspection. We never evaluate ourselves or we mask it by evaluating others, shifting the focus away from ourselves, never needing to look deeper in of fear of what we'll find, becoming people who are afraid of the log that we'll find in our own eyes so we live our lives picking at other people's specks. Self-examination is difficult because it can require us to, to break through some of our deepest, darkest, messiest aspects of our lives and wrestle with it. And that's a hard thing to do. But another reason why we may find self-examination hard is because we may simply think that it's not necessary. We see no real issues with that, need to ref, that we need to reflect upon. So we have no real care for examining how we're actually going. Apathetic towards how you're growing in your character and your faith. And I think we live specifically in a time in history where many Christians would land here because we think about what our society tells us constantly today. That examination is good. Yes. You know, look, like look at yourselves and your qualities and, and do better, be better where you need to. But have you noticed that when you find something wrong in yourself that needs work, often the first step of identifying it is enough for most. That pointing out your flaws is now deemed as courageous. But actually changing that very thing isn't that important because you shouldn't need to change yourself if you're being true to yourself is what the world says today. We live in a time where the best rebuttal against any argument is sorry if that offends you, but that's who I am. The standard of introspection has dropped because society has accepted that identifying your flaws is simply enough rather than actually working on those flaws and growing as a person. And so Christians can easily feel the same, that admitting, yes, I'm a sinner, I'm quick-tempered, I'm gossipy, I'm bad at committing, I don't forgive easy, is enough. You know, you've shown courage and vulnerability by, sh- by admitting that, by sharing that. But the significance of actually growing and changing from those sins and turning away from them isn't as important because you've already done the hard part by admitting it. So that's enough. Which is sadly the watered-down gospel we so often see where people say they're believers and they acknowledge their sins, but then they go on with life and live exactly the same way, completely unchanged by what they've confessed. No proper examination of their hearts or their actions. No priority of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. But being true to yourself is enough. See, pastor and author Jerry Ragg says, the moment we imagine that we have exhaustively assessed the sin of our hearts, we have planted, watered and harvested a crop of pride. Self-examination is hard. We can be tempted to run from it or push it aside. But while it's hard, what the Bible reminds us is, is that examination is our duty. 
See, recently Lena and I, uh, um, recently Lena and I had my mum visit from Sydney, uh, and was staying with me for a couple of, staying with us for a couple of weeks. And while she was with us, she obviously wanted to cook for us all the time, which was a real blessing, right? Every mum lo- loves to do that, cooks for their children. But because she's owned a restaurant before, she had a particular standard in regard to food. So before she left, she told us that whenever you buy foods for yourself, Corey and Lena, whatever you buy, make sure it's only this and make sure it's only that, the highest standard. Like make sure it's only Australian barramundi, not the Vietnamese one, too many chemicals. Make sure the soy sauce is from Switzerland, not the Vietnamese one, too many chemicals. Make sure your Vietnamese bread roll is from France, not the Vietnamese one, too many chemicals. As a previous chef, she had a standard that she would always measure her food to. And it's the same with our lives. Everybody lives to some kind of standard. We all use sorts of measures and criteria and comparisons to put ourselves up against, you know, workers to other colleagues, students to other peers, mums and dads to other parents. But for the Christian, we are sure of our standard of comparison. It's the standard of Jesus Christ. Where in 1 John 2, 6, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus is our measure. He is our criteria. He is our standard. Believers as Christ followers who have been transformed by him, having our lives moved from death to life, who are now born again, meaning we have a new life with Jesus, no longer the same life before we followed him, we are called to a life of what we call sanctification. And the Bible tells us this, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so sanctification is where we are being made more into the likeness of Christ. It means that if we want to live ethical, moral, significant, flourishing, li- flourishing life. We know where our standard is. It's Jesus. And so the question is asked, how do we know that we're walking in the same way that Jesus walked? How do we know that we're on the path of sanctification? And I think it's through our Christian duty of examination. See, well-known Greek philosopher Socrates famously said this, the unexamined life is not worth living for human beings. Now think about your lives for a second. There are so many things that we examine in our daily lives on a regular basis without thinking twice. Our health, our comforts, our transport, money, our connections with the world, the news. How much more then should we as Christians be examining the most important aspect of our lives, our spiritual lives? Because it's in the Bible that we see the importance of self-examination, of introspection. In Lamentations 3 verse 40, it says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, Paul said to the church in Corinth, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. When When the Apostle Paul said this, To the Corinthians, he was reminding them of who they belonged to because they were being swayed by false teachers and false gospels. And he was asking them to reflect on if their life measured up to God's perfect standard in Jesus. And so when it comes to our own lives as Christians, 
Our duty should be one where examining our spiritual life is as normal as going to a doctor to, to check in with our health. Because one of the greatest purposes of spiritual introspection is to reveal sin. What examination does is what theologian Tim Challey says, uncovers any areas in which we are failing to live in conformity to Jesus Christ. It helps us see where, where we may be withholding obedience to God, points out where we may be cherishing our sinful deeds or ignoring unhealthy desires, attitudes and actions that are sinful, yet we haven't taken any action uh, against it. So he had a colleague once who told me how he wanted to get his tattoo removed. And when he went in to book the session to have it lasered off, the doctor kind of had a look at his skin and he, the doctor said to him not, that not too far from that tattoo was what looked like signs of skin cancer. And it turns out it was. And so he was actually able to have that, the skin cancer, removed. In the end, a two-for-one deal, he got skin cancer removed and tattoo removed, right? If we had a health problem, yet never went to the doctor, to check it out, there's a chance that we may never find out and miss the opportunity to work on it getting better. Just the same, if we had a sin problem yet never went to the great physician, Jesus, we could very likely never uncover that problem and miss the opportunity to respond. The sin, like a sickness, would be left to muster and grow with the worst case scenario for both, leaving it too late and letting that very thing kill us. When it comes to introspection, we do it not only to see the evidence of sin that remains in our lives, but we do it so that what remains leads us to respond in repentance. It's in our self-reflection and looking inward that should spur us to be transformed by Christ. It means when we find areas in which we are lacking, we should faithfully respond in grief over our sins and enthusiasm to repent. I think, I love the story, I think of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19, the chief tax collector who had cheated endless amounts of people for personal gain. But upon meeting Jesus, his life was transformed and he turns away from his sin by repaying those who he cheated four times over and giving half his possessions to the poor. He was a man who showed genuine repentance. He was enthusiastic to repent. His self-examination can be hard, but when we avoid spiritual introspection in our lives, we miss out on the opportunities for faithful repentance. As Thomas Watson, a 17th century Puritan preacher once said, when a man has judged himself, Satan is put out of office. When he lays anything to a saint's charge, he's able to retort and say, it is true, Satan, I'm guilty of these sins, but I have judged myself already for them. And having condemned myself in the lower court of conscience, God will acquit me in the upper court of heaven. Self-examination is our duty as it reveals sin, that we may respond but there's another great purpose in spiritual introspection and it's the purpose of encouragement and joy. 
See, one thing Lena and I love about our childcare, uh, our progress reports, being able to see how much our, our eldest Elijah has grown and improved in, in all sorts of different things. And like, let's say last term, he could sing a few songs. He could sing ABC and Baby Shark. Now he's progressed to sing more, you know, more bigger songs like One and Only Jesus and Opa Gummy Style, which is the gummy bear version of Gangnam Style, which I look just like the actual Korean singer. So I'm very tired of that song. So it, my son keeps playing that song, so it just ties me out even more. But I love him very much, right? But much the same for a Christian. What introspection does for us isn't only show us our sins and shortcomings, but it also gives us the opportunity to see where our God has blessed us, to see and rejoice where he has transformed us. It reveals the evidences of grace and change in our lives, a sort of progress report in our spiritual growth. Perhaps you've recently reflected upon a sin that you've put to death. Perhaps you've been recently reminded of just how far you've grown in your faith since the beginning of the year. Perhaps you've just seen how much more of the Bible you know since joining your gospel community. Self-examination is not complete if its purpose is to only identify faults and failures. But spiritual examination helps us see the grace in our lives and how God has worked through them. As Tim Challey says, For just as the evidences of our depravity lead to sorrow and repentance, evidences of grace lead to joy and worship. And so it's in our self-examination that we can observe the, the good fruits that have come from abiding in Christ, as said in John 15. We get to see our progress as we are continuously being made more and more like Him. We get to observe how God is working in us and through us and for us. And what's great in that is that it encourages us. It encourages us to keep going. It encourages us to rejoice in thankfulness. It encourages us to worship Him. Self-examination is our duty because when done faithfully, it shows us a healthy balance of sin and sorrow with grace and joy. It helps us see the bad fruits that we may have missed as well as the good fruits that have grown. And it gives us a gospel reassurance on both. See, self-examination isn't easy, but the Bible instructs us and models it for us in a way that is both convicting and encouraging. But while duty for us, when it comes to spiritual introspection, we must also be careful and vigilant because when it comes to self-examination, there also comes many dangers. I'd love for you to, in your mind, guess who this celebrity is, but a celebrity once quoted this and was dead serious. They said this, I'm going down as a legend, whether or not you like me or not. The Bible had 20, 30, 40, 50 characters in it. You don't think that I would be one of the characters of today's modern Bible? Of course, it was none other than rapper Kanye West who said that, who topped the list on as the most self-absorbed celebrity in the world. He's quite known for his outrageous, arrogant statements. But honestly, we should actually continue to pray for him because it's very clear and obvious that he has a, quite a spiritual battle going on in his life. But while looking at the self can help us be encouraged by what God has been doing in our lives, the danger that can so easily creep into our hearts is where that encouragement becomes less about God and more about us, where our introspection leads us to puff ourselves up, 
becomes a form of navel-gazing, where it's self-indulgent, self-absorbed. And so we become exactly who our Matthew 7 passage uh, targets. We become just like the Pharisees, who embodied this log in their own eyes while pointing at other people's specks. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, was very strong on the Pharisees because they were extremely hypocritical making out that they were the most faithful servants of God, yet they were so full of themselves because they obeyed God's law to a T. So everyone around them was seen as lesser to them. I think of Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, where both men go to the temple and pray, and the Pharisee prays like this, God, thank you that I'm not like the other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And while we may shake our heads at somebody like Kanye West or the Pharisee here, we have to realize that our propensity is to be just like them. Which one of us can say that this week we haven't pointed out somebody else's sin before looking at our own? Have you in the past month thought in your hearts, man, I'm so glad I'm not him. I'm so glad I'm not her. It is really easy to build ourselves up unhealthily when practicing self-examination. And I think the reason for that is because we can set our standard incorrectly. Having the standard measured upon the outward rather than the inward. So we get Christians who see self-examination as more of a checklist of what they have and haven't done. I haven't murdered this week. I haven't stolen this week. I prayed five times this week. I went to church on Sunday. This is what the Pharisees were notorious for. They measured themselves only by their outward actions and how that conformed with God's standard rather than conforming to the God's standards in here, inwardly, in their hearts. Deceiving themselves as they remained ignorant to the true state of their souls naturally comparing and pointing out other people's sins while their eye had these enormous logs in them that was growing from where? From within. But that's not the only danger. That's not the only danger when it comes to self-examination. But the other way that it can be twisted and is completely on the other side is that it can bring us to feel absolute crushing shame. Spiritual introspection that leads us not to conviction, but to condemnation. Where examining the self doesn't lead to faithful repentance or gospel encouragement, but instead results in crippling grief. Where we feel too broken beyond repair. Where everything around us seems hopeless and debilitating. A sort of self-examining spiritual depression. And this kind of paralyzing introspection can cause so much damage with Christians walking away from the faith with the burden of inner conflicts too much or Christians who give themselves to all sorts of different habits hoping to remedy their struggle, but actually these habits do more harm. And it's true that it's our duty to look within uh, in order to see where we have fallen short of God's standards. And it's true that godly grief is good of our sin. Godly grief of our sin is good convicted by the spirit that leads us to repentance and transformation, as it says in the word. But as Pastor Luke has said in a previous sermon, conviction comes from God and is motivating, but condemnation comes from the devil and is eliminating. And so one of the greatest dangers in self-examination is when we 
we believe the lies of the devil, where we believe that our sin is far too great for the grace of God. We recognize that the bearing weight of our faults when put up to the perfect standard of Jesus is impossible to keep. See, to those of us who struggle with this, who are afraid of what we'll find, afraid of the great shame that comes from our sin, remember the words from 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the great joy from our passage is that all the specks and all the logs in our eyes, the severe guilt and shame of sin that resides in the deepest of our hearts has been paid for in Jesus. Jesus, who is completely entitled to judge us, paid for our log, yet he didn't even have a speck. Jesus sees us clearly and sees us all. He sees our outward actions, but best of all, he sees our innermost heart. And he still doesn't judge us because he has given himself on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as people who believe in what Christ has done for us, justifying us by his grace, we can have faith that although we may still fall short during our sanctifying in the here and now, Romans 8 reminds us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The lies of self-examination will tell you that you can be too far gone from the merciful grace of Jesus. But the truth of the gospel will tell you that your sins have already been overcome, so bring them to the feet of the cross and repent. The remedy to either dangers of self-examination, whether we overly puff ourselves up or we painstakingly tear ourselves down, is simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ and his completed work that has been applied to us the firm knowledge that Jesus has already bore God's wrath for our sin, that he has already, it has already been imputed to us as his perfect righteousness. And so what this means is we no longer need to search ourselves to see whether we've been righteous enough or deserve the merit of God's favour, but as believers of Christ, we already have his favour. But rather for us now, in our sanctification, in our growing in holiness, we examine ourselves, search ourselves to see if we are honouring God with our efforts, inspecting whether we're displaying the evidence of grace, evidence of power, the evidence of his presence in our lives. As Ephesians 4.1 says, that we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so spiritual examination is done faithfully with the gospel in mind. And I think there are some really practical and helpful ways to do spiritual examining well. See, in his book, Habits of Grace, uh, David Mathis breaks up his book into three of the core disciplines in our spiritual growth. Scripture, God's voice, prayer, God's ear, and fellowship with God's people, which is God's body. And I think these three things should be the bedrock 
of our examination because it lays down the foundation that it is God who ultimately examines our life first. As one author said, our self-examination is truly an examination carried out by God. And so wisdom would say that we practice introspection in light of his voice, his ear, and his body, starting off with his voice, Scripture. See, Thomas Chalmers, a 19th century church leader, compared self-examining to a pitch black room filled with objects all over the place. And you can't see what's, what's there, so you can't see where everything is. So objectively, it, looks, it seems really fruit, fruitless. So how do we solve that? We make the room brighter. But we don't do that by our own efforts, by straining our eyes or you know, taking more time to examine the dark because in the dark, we will never see it clearly. So instead, we should go to the window and open the curtains. And Thomas suggested to let the light of Christ break into the darkness of your soul. The sunlight is the truth of God's word. It's a wonderful image and a helpful one. Because in introspection, we can easily imagine that it's completely on us to navigate this dark room. But the best thing you can do is bask in the wonderful sunlight of God's truth, his word. Go to scripture as your standard because it's in Scripture that we'll be able to line ourselves up with the very voice of God, able to be both convicted and encouraged by what he says. For example, you may examine yourself by going uh, to the Ten Commandments or God's law every week, you know, reflecting on how you've measured up to his law in regards to obedience over the past seven days. That may be something that you do. But if you didn't go to Scripture with that, you could easily mistake that for a checklist leading to you know, an outward, more of an outward approach while neglecting inside here, your heart. But being in God's word, being in scripture can remind you that Jesus has fulfilled the law, that he has justified us. And so we follow the law not to earn God's grace, but we follow the law because uh, we've received his grace. Reminded of our inward change that produces an outward one. Or you may enjoy journaling as a form of introspection writing down your thoughts each night, able to reflect on that later, writing down your prayers. But let me encourage you to try writing down a Bible verse after each entry that you do, that you may look back on how God, God's voice has convicted you or encouraged you on that day, helping you later down the line to look back and see how God has worked in that and through that, going to his, going to his word, that you are listening to God's voice when you're journaling. Another habit to shape our self-examination around is prayer, God's ear. See, one of the joys of being God's people is that we get to talk freely with our Lord and we have a Lord who wants to hear from us. You know, one writer says, God listens, he stops, he stoops, he wants to hear from you, he stands ready to hear your voice. See, self-examination can very easily make us feel isolated, alone tempt us to either rely on ourselves or feel like nobody's there in our mess. But prayer helps us see that our God is there with us, listening to us. So if we reflect on something good that perhaps you've grown in your faith from, you talk with God about it, leading to a heart of thankfulness. Perhaps you pray to him in thanksgiving of how he's helped you put that sin to death. Or perhaps in your examining, a sin has been revealed to you. So you talk with God about it leading to confession. You pray that you're sorry for your sin and seek his forgiveness, trusting in his promise that if you, can, if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. 
See, earlier I talked about Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the Pharisee prayed in a way that was, uh, that was gloating of, about how good he was. But faithful prayer is actually how the tax collector prayed, where Jesus said this, said he prayed like this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. With Jesus saying, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What differed between the two? See, what differed between the two in their prayer is that one prayed without a need for God, while the other prayed in desperate need of God. And that's the beauty of prayer in our self-examining. Because as David Mathis says, prayer is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God. In talking to God who lends us his ear every time, we should be seeking him whenever we've done introspection. Seek him when you've been encouraged in your walk, asking that he will continue to do a good work in you. Seek him when you've been convicted of sin, that you would turn from your sins and desire that you treasure him most above all things. And there are some great ways of praying out there regarding introspection, perhaps the ACTS method, you know, ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, adoring God for who he is and what he's done and confessing your sins when you've fallen short, being encouraged in thankfulness of what God has been doing, then in supplication, asking God to reveal more of where you need to work on or revealing more of where you've grown. Or perhaps fasting, which helps us express and grow in our desire for God with a a spiritual purpose, giving something significant up for a period of time that you may give that time to spend it in prayer, relying on God, trusting in God, so you can fast with a purpose of repentance, Fast with a purpose of perhaps revealing sin. Fast with a purpose of encouragement in the Lord. Or even better, fast for a purpose of strengthening in prayer. Prayer is essential to our self-examining. We can't do it without it. And I think of King David in the great Psalm 139, where he prays to God like this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here was a sinful yet faithful man talking to God, asking God to reveal the sin in his heart and to change him, a man who wanted less of sin and more of God. And lastly, we have fellowship with God's people, God's body. See, while it's natural to focus on the self in self-examination, there is something beneficial about including others from the church in it. Because as Christians, we have uh, what we have is a partnership in the gospel. We are a community of believers. And so real fellowship is being able to let others in our lives for the benefit of spiritual growth. Because perhaps there are spiritual blind spots that you are unaware of. And so God can use those around you to help point those out for you in love. Or perhaps there are sins that you continuously struggle with, so you need others to help hold you accountable in love. I encourage you to have people from the church body in your lives who can ask you good, tough questions, who also encourage you in your faith walk, 
questions like, where might sin be residing in your heart this week? Or how has God been working in your life today? Have these people in your lives. We weren't meant to do our faith alone. Fellowship can help us with our introspection, leading to the whole church body growing together, just as Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible, prayer and fellowship. We should make these the pillars of our self-examining because what all three do is bring the gospel into our introspection. They help us treasure Christ whenever we look inward, beholding Christ over beholding self. They help us see his grace that when we confess our sins, he, he promises to forgive and cleanse us. And they help us see our identity, that we are loved and precious in God's sight. And they help us see his power, that God can and does transform us, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We need the gospel to inform our self-examination. As Robert Murray McCain says, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. And I think one of the best ways of doing that is through the sacrament of communion. Because it's in communion that we have all three, God's word, prayer, and fellowship together. In communion, we reflect inward, asking God to reveal to us where we've fallen short, confessing our sins to him in prayer. And by his words, by his word, his voice in scripture, we are given his assurance. And we do this all together as one church, as one body in community. Communion is to the believer self-examination centered on the cross of Christ. We do it in remembrance of our Saviour who dealt with our sin, assured us of our salvation and calls us to live for him together as one. See, as communion is for those who believe this and have proclaimed this, if you aren't yet a Christian, we're about to take communion. If you aren't yet a Christian, I ask that you don't come up to take the elements, but perhaps take this time to reflect on what you've heard today and examine maybe where God is telling you to look. But as for God's people, let us now take part in a self-examining through the Lord's Supper, coming to our Lord with humble and contrite hearts, trusting in the greatness and grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. So why don't we open up our booklets as we pray. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First John. Chapter 1, verse 8 to 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Almighty God who has promised forgiveness 
to all who turn to him in faith, pardon you and set you free from all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.